0: Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at documentary filmmaking. I'm your host, Christian Taylor. Unfortunately, Jason Rugg is out sick today, so we are going to have to hope we can get along without him. Uh, I'm joined by a very capable filmmaker, however, so I do think that we will be okay. I want to stop before I welcome this amazing filmmaker and just say hello and thank you to our new listeners. Um, I've had some interesting things happen over the last uh, couple of weeks, and we have had an Amazing number of people join our Patreon and sign up for our podcast. So I just want to say how much that means to me personally. And we really love to have you listening to the show. All right, now on to the show. Uh, Right now we have joining us uh, Nick Bruckman. He is an amazing guy. Nick, I'm so happy to have you here. I've just finished watching your two most recent films and I just, I'm now a huge fan. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, this is great. I love that you do this. And shine the spotlight on. I sometimes think documentary is sort of the uh, stepchild of entertainment. And so, you know, it's really great that folks with the platform are doing this. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for me, uh, I've just, I'm obsessed with documentary filmmaking, as I'm sure you are. I mean, you've also made some narrative films and some shorts. I've seen that as well. But uh, documentary filmmaking is just so life-changing, not only to me, but to so many others. So I just feel like more people need to know how to make them and uh, need to to watch them. So uh, first of all, I want to give your bio, which uh, it's much longer than what I'm about to read. And if people get a moment, uh, they could go and read uh, Nick's bio on his own website. You have two websites, one a personal one, and I think it's Nick NYC. Is that right? Uh, uh, NickNY.com. NickNY.com. Okay, that's his personal one. You'll find out lots about him there uh, as well as People T- People's TV, which is his uh, his company, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but for right now, I'm going to dive into his bio. He is the founder of People's TV and director of the documentary film Not Going Quietly, which is the one we're here to talk about today primarily. Uh, it has just been released and honored with uh, two News and Documentary Emmy Award nominations. Not Going Quietly is a, documentary, is a documentary that is executive produced by the Duplass brothers and Bradley Whitford, and it follows was a father and disability rights activist, Addie Barkman or Barkin, who followed his diagnosis, um, following his diagnosis with ALS, headed to Washington, D.C. to expose the fissures in the American healthcare system. Nick wrote and directed this documentary, and since its release, it has left an echo in the activist spaces and the world of filmmaking. It has received three IDA nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Writing, and a nomination for the Critics' Choice Awards at um also. And then, I mean, I just got to keep going. At South by Southwest, Not Going Quietly won the audience award and the special jury prize, which is not easy to do. Uh, and he was pre-selected at the Tribeca Film Festival. He also wrote and directed another fantastic film we want to talk about today called Minted, which blew my mind. Uh, so let's dive in. Nick, you've been super busy because I think these two films have just been released recently and it's just an incredible body of work. So talk a little bit about what's been going on in your life the last year.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's been yeah really exciting chapter, Not Going Quietly. Um, originally was set to come out right when the pandemic happened in 2020. And it was uh, uh, a really um, upside down moment because I'd spent three years from 2018 to 2020 working on that film and telling Adi's story. Uh, The pandemic was this huge setback. We were supposed to be at Tribeca. They canceled the festival along with everything else in the world. And we ended up having a whole other year to work on it and continue to follow Adi's story until the movie finally premiered at South by Southwest 2021 and then went on to play at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival when they had outdoor-only screenings. This was still the height of the pandemic. And the ride for the film has been really incredible in terms of the awards and recognition, but also just seeing Um, communities, activists, people around the country, recognizing Adi's story from grassroots to Capitol Hill. We screened the film inside the Rules Committee in the Capitol with about five members of Congress in attendance, including Nancy Pelosi. And uh, to the Emmys, which was just a month ago, um, which was going to be the closing chapter of that whole kind of journey of, of telling Adi's story Um, when that journey uh, ended very tragically last week, um, Mm. very abruptly and unexpectedly when Adi Barkin passed away due to complications of ALS. And um, I have done about 200 interviews about this film for every platform and podcast, but you're the first person that I'm speaking to um, since Adi's passing last week. So I'm quite, I'm quite emotional about that and that um, you know, is not, it's not something that I can begin an interview without, without starting with, because, um, forgetting my film, this person is one of the most, I think, incredible civil rights leaders of our generation. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a lot of people are reaching out to me about him and that they're glad to have my film. And I appreciate that, but I really, the film aside, I I want people to know about him and the impact he made. And of course, to, support his movement and his family in this really difficult time. This this only happened a week ago. Um, so it's it's very painful.
0: The fact that I just met him yesterday, now I'm very emotional because, of course, that was going to be the first thing that I asked you. Um, because there is no way not to be emotionally connected to this guy after you watch his story. And that is what I loved about your film is that it was so personal, so personal and intimate. And you felt like you were part of the family or you felt like you were part of his team, uh, just because how you silently inserted yourself and, um, how open and vulnerable he and his family were, um, so I'm heartbroken yeah. to hear that. Yeah, I so can't imagine that. how you're feeling.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very, very fresh. Um, I was just, at, I just came back from the memorial this weekend. Um, and the thing I'll say is, um, you know, there uh, ALS is a brutal and terrible disease. So you'll see that in the film itself. Um, the film ends with a with a happy ending of Adi celebrating um, the growth of his family and the impact that he's made. But what I'll say is that when we began the project, it was really never sure in any way that Adi would be here when it ended. And he was originally given two to four years to live in, 28, in 2016 when he was diagnosed, and here we are in 2013. And he made more of those seven years and of his 39 years, um, than almost anybody in a lifetime. And it's incredibly poignant for me because I just turned 39 myself. Uh And um, we were the same age. Um, We come from similar backgrounds, both from Jewish kind of intellectual, secular, uh, academic families. Um, His parents live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, right around the corner from where I grew up. And um, when I first saw him, I just knew that this could be me. I could have gotten this diagnosis just as just as well as you could or anybody else. And what he chose to do with it is, you know, uh, there's kind of a joke in the film about how you shouldn't call disabled people inspiring. Um, it's sort of a trope um, that that label is ascribed on them, but there's really just no other word for it. Um, his his very presence and just looking at him makes you ask the question is what i'm doing important is the way i'm spending my life important and you know that's what um that's why he had such an effect on people all the way from uh you know me and these activists and his family to um Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders all of whom just wrote you know incredible tributes to him um online what you think of those politicians notwithstanding his The fact that they're saying this about him is because they know how important his voice was and that they want their supporters to know that they stood behind him because of how much he meant to them. So, you know, I I say it not in credit to the politicians, who I know we all have mixed feelings about, including Adi did, but to his legacy and to the to the organizers and activists who he inspired.
0: You know, truthfully, it really doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on when you watch this film, because either side has people like Audie, you know, no matter what the issues are, particularly where healthcare is concerned, healthcare is not a Republican or Democratic problem. Everybody has issues with healthcare, no matter what your politics are. So everybody is lobbying the government one way or the other for what their causes are. And so what this film does, I think it pull you into the high stakes nature of that. And it also shows you that we should go and speak to our representatives that we have elected to office and that we have the right to do that. Um, You're right. I mean, he is so incredibly inspiring and bold and brave because I don't know that I would be willing to even fly on a plane and walk to my congressman's door and knock on there and just demand that they talk to me because I wanted an answer. I want them to hear what I, I mean, it just was incredibly brave. And I think too, about his family. I mean, he gave up so much time during a crucial time. We watch him lose his voice uh, during that time. So to me, it was just, unbelievable that his family encouraged him to go and and sacrifice so that he could have that special time for himself and for others.
1: Yeah, his family is really incredible. And you talked about the intimacy of the movie. What I really wanted to achieve cinematically and narratively was to show the show Adi's whole story is about how the personal is political about how, what happens at home, how much time you have with your family is a political issue because it's a healthcare issue. Um, And what I, I wanted the, the very intimate and personal scenes with him and the political scenes to feel very integrated to each other. So it wasn't like there was these activist chapters and then the chapters at home, but actually to try to show how even the activism is a celebration of family and and, and joy and community and friendship much in the way we treat each other on a personal level is a political act. So that was kind of one of the symbolic uh, North stars we had in the editing of the film, which was very complicated and we had hundreds of hours of footage um, to know what the film was about. And, Rewinding a bit to why I wanted to make the film, I think anybody who makes or appreciates documentary film will understand this, that what got me really excited about it and what made me realize there was a feature when I first started talking to Adi was not just how incredible and funny and and sarcastic and, you know, inspiring he was, but when he told me, yeah, so we're going to get on the road, we're going to get an RV, And I'm going to go around and find other sick people and then we're going to drive them to, you know, we're going to roll up in our wheelchairs to the members of Congress and we're going to confront those members of Congress with their stories. And we're going to make these social media clips and confront and close that gap between our representatives and the people. And we're going to do that using people's everyday stories that to me was what the movie is about and what all documentary films are about, which is that stories have power and they can persuade and they can uplift and they can mobilize. And when, what I think the, what happens in the film, of course, Adi doesn't win universal healthcare. Um, and that fight carries on after his, his passing uh, recently. But I think what, it did show is this, you can't always convince the politicians, but the witnessing, the sharing of the story has power to make people come together and continue to fight. And, you know, that's what I hope the film does. That's what I believe Adi does. And, um, you know, Martin Luther King said, uh, <laughs> moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So justice, I've been thinking about yeah. that a bit. Um, and I think Adi certainly bent, bent the arc a little bit.
0: I think it's interesting because when you talk about the personal and the political coming together, um, I did work in Washington. I worked um, for quite a while in politics. And the thing that I found fascinating is that you could be on the right side of Audie's political leanings, but watching this film and seeing how, his personal side and personal story, you can't other him. So what I see out, you know, as I'm looking at our political landscape right now, what everybody's trying to do is other the other side and just, they are just an idea or they're people that are, you know, um, protesting and they are a problem or they're creating chaos or they just want to disrupt, disrupt. But when you actually see somebody who is you know, also failing because of this challenge of going to talk to his representatives. Um, there is no way you cannot feel compassion for him, particularly when you hear about the problems with healthcare. care. I mean, how hard it is just to get a breathing machine or how hard it is just to get a wheelchair. Even if we weren't going for universal health care, how about let's make it easier to, um, you know, care for our loved ones in our healthcare system, um, so I thought that was beautiful. That you know, no, no matter what side you're on in the political spectrum, you have to care about Adi and his situation and the other people that are in his boat. After watching your film,
1: yeah, thanks for saying that. I mean, I think again, knowing this is a documentary-focused podcast, that's why I wanted to get into this medium in the in the first place. Um, you know, I do have. Um, uh, strong political beliefs, obviously, and many of those align with Adi's. I do believe that um, the government should provide um, healthcare. Ultimately, we should move towards a universal healthcare system that that much of the um, uh, you know Western European countries and, and Canada and other places enjoy. Um, and um, but I don't think that the way I think that the way unless people can walk in the shoes of the other. And this applies across, this applies across issues. It's not about healthcare. It applies to war. It applies to the many current conflicts in the world that we won't get into here and are outside of my, you know, scope of my films. But, um, this is a, this is a powerful medium to build empathy and connection across, um, borders and, and Adi, you know, was the perfect, metaphor um and the perfect vehicle for that we we went all kinds of places with him um outside of the beltway we were at you know rural trailer parks in utah and these people were not democrats that he was meeting and they loved him you know he just had the ability to connect with everybody partly because he's just you know so funny and self-deprecating and so um you know, purposeful. But also I think because when people see him in their state, they're confronted with their own mortality and what, you know, what a life of meaning means. So yeah. And these, these thoughts have been, you know, cutting me more deeply over the last couple weeks as I, you know, think about what um, his legacy means. But I, um, yeah, I'm very proud to be a part of his story and for the film to be a small platform. And I will mention just for viewers who do see it and are, um, energized about these issues on a political level, um, to, uh, Google the be a hero fund because Adi's organization lives on and, uh, lives on beyond him and is a, um, really important and powerful cause. And is a way that people could get involved and support his legacy.
0: You do such honor to him. And I just am so thankful that you spent all that time with him. I do want to get into a little bit of the actual filmmaking um, next, but I want to share this one thing. I found it fascinating. I have an aging father. He now has Alzheimer's. He worked, uh, he was on the very right side. He worked for Trent Lott, he worked, uh, you know, he's in the Reagan administration. And he was always fighting against, you know, tax cuts and less social um, services, et cetera, et cetera. Now he's aging. He's in his 80s. And he is just clinging on to his Social Security and his Medicare because he has very little money. And it is interesting how, when your situations change, whether you are sick or you know you have an issue that you've been campaigning against, and all of a sudden you're in that boat, uh, it makes you see things very differently. And I think that's kind of what we experience when we watch your film. We're sitting in Audie's chair for a lot of the movie um, and rolling around with him wherever he goes. And there's just no way you can't put yourself in his shoes, you know, for an yeah. hour and a half. So yeah. anyway, thank Thanks you for that.
1: that. I'm sorry to, sorry to hear about that. And um, yeah, I have a similar personal story and that my um, father uh, passed away in 2015 from a uh, stroke and was in, you know, similar um, sort of uh, health challenges in terms of a tracheostomy and all that that Adi has um, in his final years. And um, he was a very staunch Republican, believe it or not. And, um, you know, again, not to get uh, too political here, but um, he, you know, it was the VA system and okay. having, he was a veteran and having that care was what, you know, made it possible for us the last couple of years to, to care for him. So, um, you know, ironically, that experience, um you know, made me and my relationship to him kind of push me further and, and have that personal. And I, I do think there's something everybody in the film can relate to. ALS is obviously very extreme and to get it at such a young age is just un, undeniably tragic. And it's not, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, universal healthcare or not. That's a terrible thing to happen to somebody, you know, but I think everybody sees something. And so many people have come up to me and said, "This person, had, you know, I know my uncle had ALS, or this, you know, so and so has Parkinson's, um, stroke, like my father had." And um, there's, it's, it's, it's very. Our story is very specific, and yet somehow very universal. And yeah. that's that's what I think. Again, to zoom out, I'm always looking for in documentary film subjects.
0: That's what makes a great documentary film for sure. Um, so let's talk about the filmmaking. How long did you, um, you know, work on this film? I want to know all those things, you know, how did it start? How long did you work on it? What was the budget? Uh, what were the challenging things? What were the, um, you know, big wins? Uh, tell me about the actual making of the film.
1: Yeah. So, um, I can rewind very far into how I got connected to Adi, which kind of takes us into a little bit of my career because I didn't meet him as a sort of feature film subject. I, um, early in my, uh, so it's a good segue to talk about people's TV and, and, you know, you brought up, uh, you know, how these things actually get made. So I'm happy Leave to it share. it all
0: my- in there. I wanted yeah. to know about all those things. So
1: go. Yeah. So, um, I um, have made a couple of films before this, um, but uh, coming from you know kind of an advocacy background and storytelling background, I decided pretty early in my career to bring that skill set of filmmaking and character-driven storytelling to brands, to businesses, to nonprofits, and I started a company to do that. Um, when I was, when I was relatively young, which has been around for 10, 12 years now called uh, people's television. And it started with really just me and a a business partner. And we've grown it over the time to two offices, one in New York and DC. And I've really focused on that more, um, proactively than I have on feature filmmaking in part, because I really believe that organizations that are doing important work in the world need great storytelling. And that became increasingly true, especially in the age of social and digital media, um, where what the stories brands wanted to tell kind of migrated outside of the 30 second TV ad into opportunities to talk about the people they're helping in their nonprofit communities that they serve or the environmental uh, sustainability initiatives that companies have or diversity initiatives. And so we built a kind of niche doing um, stories about impact for for companies as well as for political campaigns and causes. And in 2018, I got a call from Liz Jaff, who is a political consultant that people who see the film will recognize. She was and great. She said, um, "She um, crazy story, I just met this guy on a plane. You might've seen it on the news. Him and I are starting a healthcare advocacy group and we need a short launch video for our YouTube. Um, could people's TV take on this job? Um, you know, we don't have a big budget, but it's important work. And I think you'll like this guy a lot. And, um, I, I was connected to Liz through other people in the the political world. And I flew out to Santa Barbara to meet him for what I thought would be a kind of short promotional film for the be a hero campaign. I sort of imagined it to be like a, you know, Oh, it's sad. He's got ALS. He wants healthcare, you know? Um, and the very first meeting I ever had with Adi is actually in the film. He'd say opening credits, he's taking his shirt off mm-hmm. and he's joking about his abs and, um, it was his wife and it was just this incredible moment. I did the whole interview with him about his story and was just weeping and laughing the whole time again for a two minute video. And at the very end of that interview, I said, Adi, let's do this, be a hero launch video. And then let's make a movie. And I'm um, like, you know, normally it takes a couple of months and we'd be talking a lot. But when I met him was 2018, he'd already had ALS for two years. And he only had about six months from that moment of speaking. And we didn't know at that time if he would still be able to communicate after, which thankfully he did for another another five years. So this is all to say that we accelerated that process. He agreed right away. And, you know, there was a lot more to that dynamic. You know, he's talked a lot in interviews about that. He did have some apprehension, but wanted a, you know, record for his, for his family. Again, it's like heavier for me right now to talk about a lot of this than it was just a few weeks ago. Um, So. um, Take
0: your time. I think. Y I I think maybe I'm wondering if you start off thinking, oh, my goodness, we don't have a lot of time. You know, you only gave him a couple of years or three years. And then all of a sudden you get into this, wow, we've made it four, you know, or we've and so maybe it's you think there's longer, you know, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And I had this situation. I do a, did a World War II film focused on World War II veterans mm. and their issues and things. And mm. I had my you know favorite veteran that was going to be at the opening of my film, and two days before that he passed away. Oh wow! And it I'm was so just sorry. devastating, you know. Thank so God. I understand tr- trying to go and talk about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, take your time. Well, I do love, think I'd love
1: to see that film. I will say, and I'm jumping ahead in time now, but in 2021, after I promised to do him justice, I got Adi to the red carpet at our premiere in Hollywood, packed house, standing ovation. Oh. And you know, it was one of the best moments of my. I'm so glad and he got to see that.
0: Yes, yeah, you know, That's I
1: was beautiful. watching him the whole time to see what he thinks, and he is he is a very critical um, guy, as you can see in the film. He, you know, fr- um, provocative and somebody that pushes everybody to do their best work. And you know, he he gave me a kind of knowing eyebrow raise, which meant that it was good, and oh, that, good. that meant the the world to me. And you know, even now in so many of the tributes um, people have talked about the film is how they discovered him and all of that. So, you know, for, in in some respects there's a, there's a happy ending and I'm sorry you didn't get that with that one subject on Mm -hmm. your project and hopefully, you know, their, their family and others who you honored appreciated it. But quickly from there, we kind of went in on spec and just started filming. Um, I used uh, resources from, People's TV. One of the reasons that I do this brand work is it gives us some flexibility to explore stories that are interesting um, because we have paying clients um, and are not entirely dependent on, you know, uh, let's say grants, which is another way, or investors. W- we did get some of those, including um, Bradley Whitford and the Duplass brothers, who both supported the film and became executive producers. I, I met Bradley through Adi. Um, Adi and him had met at a protest and had fallen in love with him, and um, I've become very close to Bradley over the last, uh, especially over the last week, but uh, over the last few years. And um, Bradley said, "Well, I don't know anything about documentaries. I'm an actor, but talk to my friend, talk to my friends Mark and Jay, who are filmmakers that I've you know known and respected forever, and I'm very grateful to be connected to them through this um, whole journey." And they all came in as executive producers. We also did end up getting grants from a number of different places, Um, but not at first. There was really nobody at the beginning who kind of understood what it was because Adi wasn't really famous at the time. He was just this kind of sick dad who had had this viral moment. I think later on, everybody got it, but we got a lot of rejection from a lot of funders, a lot of people who just said, I, I think they thought it sounded too sad. Um, well,
0: it, it was kind of sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. It was and it is kind of sad. And that scared people who maybe wanted something more, you know, commercial or big or bright. But ultimately. And, and,
0: but let me just say one thing. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't want to give people the wrong idea. There were many humorous moments. Yeah. There were many humorous moments. And it was heart winning and there were wins there in yeah. his journey. So I don't want to make people think you're going to watch this and feel so sad all the time. No,
1: I, I, I mean, I really wanted to make something that's very life affirming. And even though I'm sad this week, I mean, he, my outlook on life and sense of purpose is greatly increased. And I think, I think if you watch this movie, you will feel better. <laughs> that's, and, yeah. I want, and I wanted that in the first place because knowing him yeah. made me feel Better and and it's hard to explain that about a movie about a, a terminal illness. Um, and yeah, so um, that journey was very winding. I had a great team of people on the film. I producer. How big and, was your team? Well, the key, the really key person was my co writer and producer Amanda Roddy, um, who was really on the journey with me from the beginning. We had an incredible editor named Kent Bassett, who had actually made a movie, his own movie. About um, chronic pain, and so was really familiar with healthcare storytelling, and is just an incredible editor. Um, so much of the, um, I think, humor um, really came to life. I mean, a lot of that is yeah, Adi's funny, but but it was you know just like a narrative film. It's happens in the camera work. It happens in post. Um, we had um, several cinematographers uh, on the project. Did One, you shoot as well? I did shoot as well. Yeah, mostly I'm not a very good shooter. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we could have a whole other conversation about, you know, um, putting together a good crews. I'm a terrible DP, but I was very close to Adi and I actually lived at Adi's house for pretty long stretches at a wow. time in his kind of garage extra bedroom so that I could be close to the family and film Dinner time scenes without a crew and without anybody there, which I, I knew would help increase the intimacy. Um, did. But I, I'm based in New York and I had a LA based cinematographer. A lot of the filming was in DC. So I had a DC based cinematographer, Ryder Hask. Um, so there's, there was, there was um, you know, and tried to kind of try to create as much visual cohesion as we could with all those different, and, of course, a lot of the best footage in the film is shot on cell phones.
0: Yeah. What Liz s-
1: shot on the plane, yeah. which is really the best piece of footage yeah. in the whole movie. And I, I really am, you know, to segue into that, very tool agnostic. And I think that phones are great devices, you need good sound, but I'm not a big gear head. and. Um, you know, I think really documentary film is all editing. <laughs> and, it it, it and is. It's, it's all storytelling
0: right? in the end. And yeah. uh, sometimes, you know, like you said, like Liz's video is not great video quality, but it kind of doesn't matter. You're in this subject matter and it's, you know, intense. So yeah, you're completely right. Can I ask you how much the budget was? I would
1: feel more comfortable talking to viewers like offline about it because okay. I do, I do help viewers on an individual basis with this. And I'm just like, if there's producers or filmmakers in the audience um, that want to reach out to me and have a project and get feedback, I'm always down to do that. I'm on Instagram at Nicholas Breckman, and you can post my socials. The one reason I don't share it publicly is that we still are working. I'll just tell you why people don't share them publicly, even though I'm all for transparency in the industry, is that um, when negotiating with distributors or other um, people who might acquire the film, you don't want to undersell yourself sure. or oversell yourself. So I, I don't like this aspect of being- That, that
0: actually is a great, um, you know, we're here to learn. The filmmakers yeah. that listen want to learn. So I think that's a great- Yeah, um, that's is why I can't
1: publish it. But on an individual level, um, you know, you uh, yeah. uh, or, or any of your audience wants to reach out to me, I actually am very much for producing transparency but I can't publish the budget on a film that's still in the sales process.
0: I totally understand. Wow. Now I did read somewhere. It was on Hulu.
1: Yes. Yes. The film's on Hulu now. So that's where folks should check it out.
0: Okay. But you have other things in the future for this film.
1: You Yes. Yeah, so, um, the, um, so generally speaking, I'll talk, it might be worthwhile to talk about the whole distribution of the film in Please. general, but, um, that was um also a very complicated journey um you know i was talking about the editing last the film took a year to edit um which was probably where the most of our expenses came from um just that that duration of time um and i think that's how long it takes kind of to edit a really strong character-driven documentary um the film premiered at south by southwest um in 2021 and where you mentioned it got some awards which was great um but it, it kept the audience of Word, yes. which is pretty amazing. Yes, it was cool. It was also virtual that year because of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Wow, which was not ideal, but it was My, mine
0: released during the pandemic too, oh, really? and it was a nightmare, it was horrible. Oh yeah. gosh. I feel your pain. I yeah. feel your pain. So
1: so we ended up piecing the different rights together. We could have a whole hour-long conversation I about know. distribution, but um uh POV ended up um taking the broadcast rights, which is a great PBS documentary strand. I was very proud to be a part of it. And then Greenwich Entertainment did a theatrical run. Um, and they ultimately ended up selling it to Hulu as a streaming partner. So um, the it, it is done and the film is out in the world and viewers can check it out on all those platforms as well as um, VOD. But the... Um, Uh, we are trying to renew and, uh, redo some deals. So the rights come up every couple of years. Um, and, um, but the, the film, the film was made for, for six figures. Um, I can, I can share that. And that's kind of what I think most people are making indie documentaries for. Um, most, you know, larger, bigger celebrity rock and roll things are often in the low seven figures. This was on that indie side of the scale.
0: We're running out of time. There's so many other things that I want to ask you. I've got to talk about Minted because I did watch both of these films in the same day and I watched Minted first. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it opened up a whole new world that I never knew was out there. I mean, I heard the terms NFT thrown around. I, you know, I actually am on Robin Hood and I have some Bitcoin. So I know cryptocurrency is out there, but I don't know what any of that means. And I don't know what the impact is or was. And I remember there was a big crash, but I mean, your film was brilliant and how it told the story. Um, And that's what for me was the most remarkable is how you told the story, Uh, because you really did show all the highs of the nft world and then all of a sudden the crashes and then there's still the hope and so it is the journey of that um and you see it from so many different points of view so talk about how that started talk about uh your how you decided to tell the story anything you want to let us know i'd love to hear it
1: yeah absolutely um it's interesting that you watch that first because most people who've seen my work obviously saw not going quietly first which came out first and um they really couldn't be more different in no. some ways. Um, so um, I was really interested in um, uh, NFTs because actually, before I got so political and activisty and social changey, I um, was interested in digital art. And I was my very first films that I made as a kid were kind of you know abstract digital video. I studied video art in college. Um, I went to an art school um, and only from there in you know, uh, to be about go- it connects to my personal journey. So I'm trying to thread both together here. In the yeah. time, and so
0: real quick, though, um, I think we need to explain what an NFT is because my yes. audience may not. So do a little bit of term explaining in the yes, middle of yes. it.
1: So hopefully the film explains this, but NFT yeah. stands for non fungible token. And it is a term that exploded in the media in twenty twenty one. And it is um, become a very divisive, controversial, ridiculed, um, and complex topic that is adjacent to the whole topic of cryptocurrencies, um, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's a virtually impossible thing to explain because it all sits on a, a, a very complex technology called the blockchain. And it's something that is been, I think, confounding to people for many years since the advent of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies nearly 15 years ago. Um, but I think most people have come to accept the fact that Bitcoin and things like it are probably here to stay, whether we sort of like them or not, that this is a sort of digital store of value that people are able to transact in some way. And I try not to, in the film, take a particular value judgment. It's, this concept stirs up a lot of strong emotional reactions in people. You argued um, both
0: sides. That yeah. was what was interesting
1: to me. You argued both sides. Yes, exactly. And I, And I think both sides are really interesting because I think it raises a lot of interesting conversations about the role of technology in society, about how technology has the power to the, the similarity between this and not going quietly is that many people believe that these technologies have the power to quote unquote, decentralize power away from powerful institutions. So big cryptocurrency evangelists believe that um, Bitcoin has the power to give power to the people and take it away from the big banks or from the Federal Reserve and central government. And what uh, people believe about NFTs is that we can take that same concept of digital currency and apply it to art and other things like art. And you have to watch the movie, hopefully, to wrap your mind around it.
0: But you I, have to have the visuals. I mean, that's what I yeah. loved about what you did is you were telling, you know, it all starts with art and you were telling the story um in an art way. It, it was just brilliant. And again, we're running short on time. I would love to talk a lot more about that, but I really am interested. Um oh, Where can you watch Minted, by the way? Let's say that real fast.
1: So uh, Minted is not out yet. It premiered this year at the 2023 Tribeca Film Festival. And we are working on distribution now. And hopefully we will have some exciting news about that very soon.
0: I hope so. That's super exciting. Okay. We, we still are getting really close to time. I want to learn more about you. You are a fascinating individual. You've accomplished amazing things in your 39 years. So tell me, give me the two minute summary of your you know life story and your filmmaking journey.
1: How did you get here? Yeah. So I, um, thank you for, for those kind words. Um, I still feel like I'm striving, you know, at the Climbing, trying to break into the industry, even even now. Um, I um, grew up. My family's from New York City. Um, I'm of mixed um, heritage. My my mother's family's from India. My father's family is um, uh, American. And um, I uh, there are many artists in my family, mostly in classical music. My mother was an opera singer. Um, her father was a sitar player. Um, my brother is a classical pianist, uh, in Europe, um, and I think I wanted to get into the arts, but as far away from music as I could, uh, <laughs> cause I was always going to be overshadowed by them. And I just was picking up my, my mom bought me my first video camera, I think at seven years old. And, um, I, um, made all kinds of short films. I wanted to be a music video director. I wanted to be a video artist, as I mentioned, Um, which got me interested in some of the artists that are in Minted. And then um, around when I was 17 years old, living in upper Manhattan um, was when 9-11 happened. We talked Mm. a lot about lack of understanding and um, the xenophobia and othering, I think was the word used, which Mm -hmm. I agree with. And I went down to the World Trade Center site on that day, I I went down there with my video camera. And um, the, you know, next couple of years for the country was very complicated. And I was um, active in some, you know, anti-war protests. And I really felt um, that the tool of the camera, especially as differentiated from mainstream news, and the medium of documentary, whether short or long form, but of this kind of character storytelling was basically the best way that I could raise my voice as an artist. Um, And again, not everything I do is all about uh, peace and love, but I made a film about immigration um, that has a very similar thematic issues, also has a disability connection in it. Um, One thing worth mentioning is that my grandfather who was from India was blind. And was um and and opened the lighthouse for the blind in India. And so was very active as in the nineteen fifties when there were no rights for the blind. And my aunt and uncle um are both people with um disabilities. Uh my aunt has cerebral palsy and was very active in the movement to get the Americans with Disabilities Act uh passed in, in, in nineteen ninety. And I am, don't identify as a person with a disability, but many of my films have touched on this. And there's just um there's just a lot of social advocacy in my family. So I think I was lucky with that, um, to be exposed to that at an early age. Um, and, you know, I went to state school, to the S- State University of New York at Purchase. This is not an elite film school, I should mention. Um, I did not get into NYU, and um, where most of the really successful documentary filmmakers went, or to USC or Columbia. So I still consider myself kind of like outsider public school kid. Um, and. I um, worked at another film production company for several years before starting my own to kind of learn the ropes. And I really believe that it's really important for people who want to direct, and whether it's narrative films and they admire Quentin Tarantino or Michael Moore, to really think about sustainability and the economics of achieving that goal. And for me, that was... um, Doing this this commercial and client work, um, and at first when I started out, I was shooting and editing myself for you know anybody that would hire me to do stuff. And over time, I built a team and a specialization. And I think really my my craft is really producing and understanding. And now I you know I'm I'm more of a CEO role. I have ten employees between um, Washington D.C. And, and our New York office, but for Me, I was a very good editor. I was never a good camera person, as I mentioned Mm. earlier. And I really advise young filmmakers, get really great at a craft that is adjacent or in the industry. Um, You know, George Lucas was very famous for knowing how to do the makeup for the actors, knowing how to do the miniature modeling, knowing how to do the sound. And I really think that people who want to direct and storytell should actually understand the nuances of it. and, and, And more specifically, get really good at one thing color correcting, um, gaffing and lighting. And that way you can have a job in the industry where you're exposed to other people and you make those connections, which brings me to my number two piece of advice for anybody breaking in, young, old, or otherwise, which is to find your tribe, that documentary filmmaking is a very collective Mm -hmm. team sport. Um, That's my favorite thing about it. I think one of the reasons I didn't want to be a, my brother was, you know, uh, my brother's a concert pianist and it's amazing, but it's very like, you know, um, rigorous uh, and sometimes solitary endeavor. So is filmmaking, but um, this movie, Not Going Quietly, Minted, was um, with, you know, uh, an amazing squad of people that I hope to continue making films with. A lot of the camera people that shot Not Going Quietly also shot Minted. and. Um, you develop a language and a relationship and there's Lots no way to be great at every element of it. So find a skill that's marketable. Um, that way you don't have to work, you know, in retail or outside the industry because you want to be around it. You're not going to get, unless you're rich, nobody's going to give you the keys to direct a film right, right away. And if you find a great story and want to pursue it, you're going to have to use your own money. So how are you going to get that? While having time, it's and so again, this even this is not easy. What I'm saying, but it's you know networking is great, and I really try to pay it forward in terms of um, being really open to consultation and outreach. Um, I uh, am going to speak on a panel at Doc NYC um, about about film ethics uh, last week at Double Exposure. I met with young volunteers. I went to Haiti to do a filmmaking workshop, and and this is all to say that if you're Viewers want to reach out to me about their projects, about what they're working on. Um, I'm really uh, DMs always open on social media. I really love helping young filmmakers, you know, however I can because it's so hard, and um, we need more great stories told.
0: That is just beautiful. I mean, you are an amazing person. I just am so thankful that you've spent this time with us. I have learned a lot and I just want to cheer you on. I'm just such a fan of your work and who you are as a person. Now that I've gotten to speak with you, I know our listeners will love you as well and be so grateful that you are so humble and willing to pay it forward. I think that is hard to find in our industry, uh, but it is so needed. You know, it really is so needed, not necessarily um, for fantastic stellar work necessarily, but I think our industry is hungry for others that care and that really want to tell good stories in a humane way where we're not killing ourselves in order to yeah. you know, to make a living or to to get the film made. So anyway, we're going to wrap up here. We're not even going to have time for DocuView Deja Vu today. You'll have to check in next week. But if you are a Patreon listener, we're going to record a short little segment here. Um, we're going to ask him some fun questions about what it's like to work with Bradley Whitford and the Duplass Brothers. So uh, stick around or join Patreon so you can come and hear that little extra. So Nick, thank you so much for being here, I really I would love to have you back. There's
1: just so much we did not touch on. So absolutely, thank you. It's great. It's an honor to be here. And thank I really you so appreciate much. Appreciate what you're doing with your platform.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody. We're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody. The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.